You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 32, where we cover my 2018 Oklahoma whitetail hunt. Hello, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in to the Transition Wild Podcast, hosted on the Sports Nation Podcast Network. It's a great day. Hope you're having fun. Hope you're still out hunting. I've, I've been seeing a lot of guys still going at it. It's it's late season. It's December. So whether you're you're chasing that late season whitetail, trying to fill an elk tag, going after a mule deer, whatever, uh, a lot of people out there still grinding. So I I I commend you. It's <laughs> the late season. It's cold. It's snowy. You're kind of wore down. It's tough to get out there sometimes. But for the people that are out there still trying to fill tags definitely commend you that's uh that's really really cool uh still haven't got out for my late season cow hunt hoping to sneak a weekend in here before i uh before christmas happens and i get busy with show season and lots of work travel so hopefully i can hopefully i can get out at least for a a morning hunt or something to try to fill my late season cow tag uh we'll see how that goes but um, you know, life gets busy. I've, I've actually been doing some remodeling at my house. I just put in a, a new office where this is the, the maiden voyage of recording my first podcast here in my new, <laughs> I'm going to call it the transition wild world headquarters. <laughs> I, it took me a little while. I, I've been wanting to do something like this for a while and I finally had the space for it. And you know, stuff gets crazy around hunting season. You got elk season that starts late August and that goes through September. And then I started mule deer hunting in October, did my whitetail hunt in Oklahoma, which we're covering today, but that took place mid-November and just didn't really have a whole lot of time the last couple months to really devote to working and remodeling my new office but uh, the last couple weeks I've really put some time into it and it turned out great I posted a picture of it on my Instagram kind of did a cool pallet wall got my bull hung up got my Kansas whitetail shoulder mount on the wall and it's nothing like extravagant kind of did it on a budget but I think it turned out really well so um, that feels good to finally have that done and uh, get to enjoy the new space here for for hopefully many years to come it's a it's a cool spot and hopefully i'll have turned this into you know i'll get some more people in here that are face to face i really love the dynamic of talking with people that right across the chair from me and let the conversation flow a little bit more naturally and it's just a just a really cool dynamic so hopefully with this new space i'll be able to do a little bit more of that so if you're in montrose colorado if you're in southwest colorado hit me up and we can do a podcast together <laughs> be a lot of fun so um so yeah let's let's get into it i um i went on a whitetail hunt this past november and uh i i just really had a had a great time it was a solo trip and we'll we'll cover that in detail just from everything from the planning process to how how i how i settled in oklahoma uh, kind of what I did day by day, some things I learned, uh, the gear, the gear that I was utilizing that, that, you know, came in clutch for the style of hunting I was doing and just talk about the whole experience in, in general. It was so much fun. So let's not delay. Let's cover my 2018 public land DIY Oklahoma whitetail hunt. All right, on the line with us now, we have Adam Parr with Transition Wild. How you doing today, Adam? 
Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for thanks again for for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, I've uh, I've been watching your stuff, been following you on Instagram, and looks like you had some recent success in Oklahoma. How how'd that go? It looked like it turned out uh, to be pretty successful, pretty sweet for you. Yeah, um, you know it was it was pretty sweet. I, I'm 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 a really good hunter, and uh, you know before I get into this, I'd like to thank my sponsors. Uh, Mountain Ops, I, I wouldn't have been able to go as far as far as possible, you know, getting way back into those areas I was in. I was drinking that shit like it was going out of style, so big thanks to them. My Yeti Cooler came in clutch along with my Yeti Rambler. I was enjoying sick coffees in the morning, stuffing meat in the Yeti Cooler, and uh, let's see who else. Uh, scent Blocker, I was living in the back of a truck for a week. It, it gets pretty gets pretty uh you know your scent gets everywhere so i was using that left and right and that that was that was just key and then uh wonder bread those those peanut butter jelly sandwiches i was making uh, on the trip they were just they were lights out they were <laughs> they were amazing well adam you you sound like a complete douchebag um I've never done this before, but we're just gonna have to cut this podcast off right now. Uh, this is this really isn't gonna work. So um, yeah, we'll we'll catch you later. Ah, <laughs> oh, god, that was dumb. That was so dumb. What if uh, what if I actually sounded like that? I, I I hope to god I don't sound like that. That <laughs> that was pretty douchey. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've. Let's uh let's cover my trip. This was this was something that was kind of kind of spur of the moment, but kind of not. I I knew I wanted to start the hunt and and do something this year. I it all actually started back in let's see March April. I forgot to apply for Kansas. I didn't put in for a Kansas tag this year. I've got, I've got farms out there that I have private access to, and uh, I don't pay a dime to hunt these farms. And there's really good deer. I missed a, a good buck there last year. I've had some really good hunts over the last couple of years and totally just got busy. I don't know. I forgot to apply. So long story short, I didn't get that tag. And so after that, I was like, well, I've never hunted in Nebraska before and I've heard good things. And so I started kind of looking into that. And at the same time, my buddy, Dustin, who I grew up with, and we've done some uh, hunts together. When I killed my buck in Kansas a couple years ago, we actually hunted a piece of public and he came out with me on that trip and we had an absolute blast. So been wanting to hunt with my buddy Dustin again for the last couple years and found out he was actually going to move to Nebraska and so I was like hey man when are you moving out and he's like oh end of October so I was like sweet that's going to be good timing we should we should plan a trip man I, I would totally be down to, to do a public land hunt sometime early to I was kind of looking at more mid-November based on my schedule and just what I had going on kind of looking to go around that 10th through the 20th, you know, somewhere in that time frame, um, before Thanksgiving, but not the first week in November. And so started putting things together and talking to him about that. And he was a little bit delayed on his move and there was a lot of shit going on, starting a new job, all the stuff that comes with moving. And long story short, he wasn't able to go on the hunt. And, uh, so I was like, well, you know, I, I, I would still go. I, I, I've, it's been a while since I've done a DIY solo hunt. I actually did, did one years ago. Let's see, that had to have been in like 2014, maybe 2013. I, it was my first job out of college. I worked there for like three years and I was like, screw it. I'm going to quit. So I quit my job in October and I basically bummed it for a month, and then I did a two-week trip to south southeast Ohio and went and hunted by myself, rented a cabin, and just had an absolute blast down there. It was really cool. Just There's a, there's a different dynamic doing it solo, and um, so knowing that I had done that years past, I was like, man, this would be really cool to do my own 
my own thing and just and just have a go on it. Never been there before. Um, never hunted Nebraska, so I was like, I'll I'll still give it a go, right? So then I started looking into uh, season dates, and I quickly found out that Nebraska's gun hunting season started like November 10th this year. It's real early. It It's crazy how early the rifle season is. So it was literally the exact same week I wanted to hunt their rifle season kicked off. So I was like, damn, you know, I don't, I don't want to be out there competing with the rifle hunters. I had just shot a mule deer buck in Colorado with my rifle. So I dusted that off. I didn't need to do another rifle hunt for the year. And I really wanted to get something with my bow because it's been a few years. I didn't shoot anything last year. So I was like, damn, you know, I, that doesn't really work. And again, I couldn't go the first week because first week in November, cause I had a lot of stuff going on and just didn't work with my schedule. So I was like, okay, what, what other options do I have for whitetail? Cause I coming from Michigan and growing up there, that's what I cut my teeth on. That's what I've always known from since I was a little boy is, is hunting whitetail deer with my bow. And it's something that even though now I live in Colorado and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a Western hunter, so to speak. I live in the mountains chasing elk, chasing mule deer. I, I still have to go on a whitetail hunt every year. It doesn't matter. That's that's just what I love and what I know. So I knew I had to do something. So I started looking at different states, and I was like, all right, the next state down is Oklahoma. And I uh, didn't really know much about it. Uh, it's not really a state that's ever been on my radar. It's not really that well known. It's not really talked um a lot about you never see too many hunting shows i know like major league bow hunter those guys hunt down there but other than that like the, it's just not a very um you know renowned spot for whitetails but i knew there was some good deer there and after kind of doing some initial research i found out that their gun season didn't start till the following weekend uh, i think it started this year on the 17th 16th or 17th something like that in november and it worked out great with my schedule. I was like, all right, cool. I'll hunt the week before, you know, like the 9th through the 16th. And that way I won't hit the uh, gun hunters. And uh, so I started kind of putting together the initial research. And I started thinking, you know, who do I know in Oklahoma? Or who do I know that might be familiar with that area? And I started thinking, I was like, oh, um, my... My uh, buddy, Gordon Whittington, who I've met through the hunting industry and Quiet Cat, he's the editor-in-chief of North American Whitetail Magazine, and he's hunted in uh, Oklahoma before. So I've, I reached out to him and chatted a bit with him, and he was, he was telling me about some different areas and spots to check out and, you know, uh, talked to me about deer numbers and kind of gave me a lay of the land. So big shout-out to Gordon Thanks again. And uh, from there, I kind of got a good feeling about Oklahoma. You know, the season dates worked out good for me. Um, kind of had a little bit of intel um, from from Gordon, and I knew I knew it was an over the counter tag. So I was like, man, everything's really starting to add up, and it's something that I wanna I wanna pursue. So I. The next step, kind of in the initial planning process during early October, this is about a month out, that I decided to make the switch from Nebraska to Oklahoma. So I called the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife and talked to one of their personnel there. I don't think it was an officer, but uh, just somebody with the planning commission. I mean, if you call, everyone's very knowledgeable and they're they're willing to help you. And I was just asking them some basic info, really um, more on the tag requirements and uh, you know what that consisted of. It's a $300 non-resident over-the-counter tag. You can um, shoot up to four does and two bucks. So four does and two bucks with that tag for mule deer and or whitetail because um, the area I was hunting also held some mule deer. Not, not a whole lot. I only ended up seeing one the entire trip, but um, there are mule deer in that area. So, I mean, very, very liberal, uh, bag limits to have, to have that many (laughs) 
tags in your pocket is pretty cool. And uh, not that I don't think I could ever shoot six deer in a week, but um, I was definitely looking to shoot a couple deer. I I, uh, I definitely want the meat. I love venison. I process everything myself. So I was looking to, I, I didn't need a trophy. I, I just wanted to go down there and have fun and, and, and um, you know, live this experience of a solo hunt. And so really I was talking to them about the bag limits, found out that, um, you know, how to check a deer if you were successful, um, talking to them about some of the walk-in hunting areas and where to find information on that, where public or private landowners lease their land to the state and then you can go hunt that. And then I was just talking about public hunting areas and, and kind of trying to learn the website and where you could find information. So the lady I was talking with, she was super sweet, really nice, very knowledgeable. So she walked me kind of through the website and how to do everything and, uh, very, very helpful. And then I asked from there, I was like, Hey, um, can you put me in contact with the local biologist or, you know, somebody who manages these areas? And, you know, she gave me the contact information to this guy, um, that manages the, he's the local biologist down there and he covers both of the couple of the areas I was looking at. And, um, you know, I kind of nailed down a couple spots mainly because it was, uh, you know, closer to Colorado, not too far of a, uh, a drive. So, kind of nailed down the spots based on geography and good amount of public land. So after I kind of just nailed that down, I was talking to the biologist and really diving into hunting pressure with him. You know, where are you seeing, where are you seeing the most hunting pressure? Are, are, are there more guys in kind of more of the river bottoms or are they in this area over that area? I was talking to him about deer numbers and deer activity kind of just getting a good lay of the land of what I could expect to see when I went out there. And he was telling me lots of stuff, good local intel, but nothing that you can really kind of take home. I mean, they're not going to show you, oh, go ahead, go sit in this tree or this little spot between this crossing, this is where you need to be. Um, you know, he was just giving me kind of more high-level information that I could then use to um, get into some more of my more of my scouting and and really just talking to him about the, the lay of the land in regards to terrain you know hey where's the better river bottom spots if I want a tree stand hunt what are some good areas for spot and stock so kind of just high level generic you know stuff that you typically ask when you first get started so after I kind of talked to him and nailed down the area um, I really had a good understanding for what was going on now, there was one big thing he did mention is that quail season opened that Saturday before the rifle season. So he said there's quail hunters that come from all over the country and and hunt these areas pretty hard. Bird hunters, right? So they got their dogs, they're running around, a shotgun blast going off. And he he recommended if I could come the week before that would be more ideal. You wouldn't be dealing with the quail hunters and you wouldn't be listening to shotgun blasts going off while you're out bow hunting. He said like, that's just not my style. Um, if it were me, I would try to hunt that week before quail season. And I was like, well, it's not really an option. I can't, can't really swing that. So, um, you know, I had hunted Kansas in years past when I, when pheasant season opened and, to be honest, like it's, it hasn't been that big of a deal. Like the pheasant hunters are kind of in the fields and, and they're not necessarily in the big wooded areas from what I've found. So I figured it could be, it's the rut deer moving everywhere. Um, it might push some deer around and really for the most part, I, I, I just wasn't worried about it from what I had known from Kansas. So that wasn't that big of a deal, but it was definitely something to consider if that's not what you're into. If you don't want to be listening to shotgun blasts and that stuff, then, you know, maybe you, you avoid that altogether, but it wasn't an option for me. So, um, he did outline that, which is good, good information to know. So after I kind of had the areas picked out, I talked to the department of wildlife, talked to the biologist, looked at, kind of the public areas and what was available. That's when I started getting into Google Earth, Onyx Maps. And, you know, with 
with these areas, there's no running water. That was another question I asked uh, the biologist, like, was there running water in these rivers? Because you're hunting these river bottoms, and that's typically where the whitetails are. They like that cover. And um, there turns out there's no river or no water in the river bottoms. These are old, dried up creek beds. And there's although there's some water, there's pools and then um, other bodies of water. There's no running water per se. So uh, looking at the maps and kind of kind of diving into everything that way, it was there's some terrain, but it's there's a lot of stuff that's just flat and. So in hunting in Iowa and some of the areas in Kansas, like some of these, you have these draws and you can use the topography and you kind of look at a topo map and be like, oh, this could be a good bench or this is a good funnel based on this saddle or using these two ravines that come together. For Oklahoma, it really wasn't like that. So topography was tough to read and, um, you know, it really wasn't something that I dove into and and honestly I was really just using Onyx Maps and Google Earth to just get more of a lay of the land and really looking at what were some potential access points what are some areas that I can get further away from um, potential hunting pressure what spots might be tougher to access maybe some overlooked areas that maybe are not that big but they're kind of off the radar a little bit. So I was kind of, kind of looking at more of that stuff, looking at food sources. There was a number of planted crop fields in the area that the farmers come in and plant. Uh, God, I can't remember what they, they were planting. Can't remember it off the top of my head, but crop fields, food sources, that sort of thing. And really just kind of getting a lay of the land from the digital side. Because uh, again, it was kind of tough from from the terrain and without water and some of those pinch points, it really wasn't something that I could just be like, oh, that's the tree. So, kind of went into it with an open mind, thinking that hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover some ground and you know go that route. So that was kind of the initial research, initial steps, talking with the biologist, getting getting the lay of the land, finding out the tag regulations, and uh, that was pretty much my first couple weeks of October. Then after I decided, I I knew I was going, I, I, I started putting the things in place as far as, uh, I, I then began to think about lodging and logistics. And from when I hunted last year in Iowa, I went out there with my buddy Joey, Joe Wilson, and we hunted for a week in Iowa we stayed in a hotel and I've done uh, solo trips before where it's just kind of like weekend to Kansas or weekend to Eastern Colorado and I'll just get a hotel room and it is what it is. It's, it's fine. It's not ideal. Um, but after doing that last year in the hunting trip, I was like, I never want to stay in a hotel again if I don't have to. And hotels, even though some of these areas that are remote out in the middle of nowhere, Midwest, you're still paying like 50, 60, 70 bucks a night. And if you're there eight days, seven days, it's, <laughs> that starts to add up. And, um, so paired with the cost and the, uh, not wanting to stay in a hotel cause it doesn't really give you that kind of experience that I was looking for. I, I totally crossed off hotels. I didn't want to stay at a hotel whatsoever. So then I started to think, all right, what are my other options? I started looking at um, pop-up campers and truck bed campers here in Colorado. And I actually met a guy, I found one on Craigslist, uh, a truck bed camper. And I actually was going to buy it and went there and checked it out and um, was about to pull the trigger on it. But then I kind of thought about it and I was like, man, even a truck bed camper, it's just it's more, it's work, right? Like they're heavy. They're, um, I would probably, you know, park it in one area for the week and just kind of base camp out of there and drive back every night. And that was one of the things that I considered because I wanted to be mobile. Some of these public hunting areas are 20, 30, um, some upwards of 40,000 acres 
And if you hunt on one side and your camper is, or your base camp or whatever is on the other side, it's, it's a far drive. It can be 30, 40 minutes. I remember there were some spots in Kansas, we were driving almost 40 minutes from our cabin to get to the areas we wanted to hunt in the morning. Plus then you got to walk in from there. So like that was a, another factor. I wanted to be mobile. I wanted, I wanted to be able to, um, yeah, if I found a good area or if I wanted to go bounce around from, you know, this area and drive 40 miles that way, check out this other area. Like I didn't want to have to like come back to, to one spot every night. So, um, although I could have kept a truck bed camper in the back of my truck, it was just like, ah, I don't really feel like dealing with it. And I probably would have to, um, you know, set it down somewhere. So I evaluated that, crossed that off the list. And I thought about a tent and same thing. You're either having to set it up. It's a little bit more rustic and it it was going to be cold. You know, mid November can be pretty damn cold. It can be in the teens, twenties, thirties in the morning. And and that I've done that before that sucks in a tent. So I was like, eh, don't really want to do that. So I ultimately decided on a truck bed topper and uh, I was looking at hard shell toppers and I almost bought a hard shell and then my buddy suggested a soft topper and, uh, he bought this one. It's called soft topper. They're out of Boulder, Colorado, and it's essentially a soft shell collapsible truck bed topper. And, um, it's badass, man. They're the thing was with a hard topper. It's something you got to store. If you don't want to have it on all year long, they're heavy, they're expensive. They're like two grand. And, uh, you know, you can't really utilize your truck bed if you want to put something big in there, move furniture. I haul bikes all the time. So uh, I, I wanted to be able to utilize my truck bed if needed. And this collapses down. It's really cool. But also it would be my my sleeping quarters for every night. So I ultimately decided to go into, uh, it's called Soft Topper. You can check them out at softtopper.com. And, um, it was about 800 bucks and, and got the setup, assembled it myself, put it on and it was, it was ready to rock and roll. And my buddy, Sam, he loaned me his truck bed air mattress. And it's this air mattress that you just hit a button. It's got a battery in it, blows it up all by itself. And it floats over the wheel wells in your truck. So you got a full bed full uh, air mattress in the back of your truck without having the wheel wells get in the way. So that's pretty cool. You let me borrow that. I think that's called air beds with a Z at the end, but that, that was pretty cool. So I appreciate my buddy uh, loaning me that just brought some sheets some pillows, sleeping bag, um, a couple extra blankets. Cause I didn't know how cold it would be. And uh, I'm sure glad I, I, I did bring the extra blankets cause it got cold some nights but um, that was pretty much going to be my setup. It was something that was mobile. It was better than a tent. I threw a little heat, Mr. Buddy heater in there, propane, kept me warm. And, um, you know, that's pretty much what I decided on for, for my hunt. And uh, let me tell you, it, it worked out really, really good. I, I really enjoyed that setup because wherever I was at, I, I was able to deflate the mattress every, every morning, just a click of a button. I kind of folded all my pillows and blankets and sleeping bag all into like a taco inside the air mattress. And then I slid my coolers and had all my, um, hunting gear in the back of the truck, um, of the cab. And then I had like my coolers and stuff in the bed when all my stuff was out of the way during the day. And it just made for a really, really nice setup. So I'm glad I went that route. And plus a truck topper is something I've wanted for a while, just convenient to have on your truck. So I'm really, really glad I went that route as far as lodging and my, uh, you know, camping out every night. It was just really, really cool. Um, so some of the other gear that I brought, uh, really as far as like my camping gear and food, I just brought a couple coolers, one large and one small. I kept my kind of perishables and my groceries in the smaller cooler and then I left the other cooler empty for potentially getting a deer and stuffing that thing full of venison (laughs) so I I left that I I brought two coolers that was it and then um, I bought a little propane tailgate stove 
that was that was I mean that was like thirty bucks at Walmart. I had two burners on there. It was perfect for everything I needed. Boil noodles, um, heat up soup, all that stuff. Cook some eggs. So everything I needed it was perfect. One pot, one pan. Uh, disposable silverware, paper plates and towels, paper towels, just, you know, keeping it simple. I didn't want to do a ton of dishes, but, um, you know, I had to wash out the, the pans and stuff. But, uh, as far as food, I kept it pretty minimal as well. I ate a shit ton of ramen noodles. <laughs> it was just easy, you know, Bo- boil water. After you, after you get back from hunting all day, it's just the last thing you want to do is cook something in the dark and, um, deal with that. So ramen noodles were really convenient. I heated up soup a few nights. Uh, some of the mornings I'd come out of the woods and, and be switching spots or driving to a different area. I'd cook up some breakfast. But, um, other than that, I was just doing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for, for lunch, lots of granola bars, snack bars, fruit snacks. Uh, I was really digging those portable protein packs from, uh, I think Oscar Meyer makes those. Just pick those up. There's like cheese and ham and nuts and berries. They're all in this one little pack. And I really like those. I'm just kind of, I just go minimal. I try not to be super extravagant with the stuff that I make. And it's not really, when you're by yourself and living out of the back of your truck, you're not really set up for that. So I just try to keep everything simple. And uh, let's see. So that was pretty much my food and, and camping gear situation. I never did any campfires. I just never again, you're getting back after dark and you're by yourself and it's like, eh, by the time you make food and kind of get your, get your bed all ready to go and the heater fired up, it's just, it's eight, nine o'clock and you're ready to go, uh, go to bed. So, um, didn't really do a whole lot of that. As far as my hunting gear set up, some of the major stuff, I brought one tree stand and one set of sticks. I was using the lone wolf. I used the bigger platform. I'm a taller guy. So, I can't sit on those little platforms, so I get the, I don't know if it's called the Assault or whatever, but it's the bigger version of the Lone Wolf, and I really like that. It's pretty lightweight, and then I utilize uh, Muddy muddy Outdoors sticks uh, for getting up the tree, and then I also use some of these just strap, they're tree straps, tree steps that are that strap around the tree, and I, I just find a couple of those paired with a couple of sticks, I can get up, you know, 15, 16, sometimes 18 feet, depending on the tree. And I'm really glad I bought a, uh, brought a hang on. I'm not a big fan of climbers anymore because I want to be able to find the right tree, not necessarily the, the convenient tree that a climber can go up because that might not be in the ideal spot. And after going out there, Oklahoma, um, in these river bottoms, like the trees are just crooked as shit. There's there's not a straight tree. There's not, there's hardly any without branches. So it really came in handy to have the hang on set up. So that was what I ran, um, for a tree stand. I utilized my mystery ranch pack. So the same pack I hunt with in the mountains for deer and elk, uh, with the frame system, I removed the bigger, uh, what's cool about mystery ranch is they got this guide light frame, right? So it's a universal frame that goes with, um, all of their different hunting packs. And I run the, uh, Metcalf. It's kind of a bigger bivy pack. So it's more designed for bringing in your camping gear, your sleeping bag, just a bigger, um, cubic centimeter setup for more Western style backcountry hunting. Well, I knew I wasn't going to be camping out, didn't need everything on my back. So, um, I also purchased the mule bag and that's kind of more of your day pack stuff. So I removed the Metcalf, set up the mule and with mystery ranch, they have their overload system. So I was able to stuff my tree stand and sticks, uh, right up tight against the frame of my pack. And, uh, with the way their strap system and their buckle system works, I'd strap that in. And then I had the whole inside of the pack to have my water, my snacks, uh, you know, all your other stuff, your, your lights, your game bags, all that stuff that I put in there. And that worked out really well. It's a really good system for getting my, my stand in and my sticks. Um, the frame system's comfortable, can handle a lot of weight. And I still had everything I needed, uh, in my pack there that wasn't too bulky didn't take up a whole lot of room. So I really, really liked that setup. 
I'll probably end up doing a review on it um, at some point, doing some sort of video on that setup because I really, really enjoyed it. So that was that was nice. The pack worked out great. The, the one stand is all I needed. And uh, clothing, I was just wearing my Sika gear that I hunt in the mountains with. Works just fine. Um, I'm not going to go out and spend the money on specific whitetail stuff. It's just not anything I really need. So I just ran my, my normal mountain Sitka gear. Uh, boots I was wearing, I was running my Cabela's Mendel's. They're a 400 uh, gram insulated boot. So not uh, the heaviest insulation, but enough. You pair it with a couple socks and uh, I was plenty warm. And they're comfortable. They're, they're more of a hiking boot. They're not a knee-high rubber boot. So uh, I, in some of these areas I was going into, uh, the area that I ended up shooting both of my deer in, excuse me, uh, both of my deer in, I uh, was going about a mile in one way. So those boots were nice. They weren't uncomfortable at all. I've hunted with them in the mountains, actually done a lot of hunting in, uh, for elk in those boots, and they worked out great. So um, those were nice to have. I brought trail cameras, but I never pulled one out. I just, I don't know. I, I, I've brought trail cameras on a number of hunting trips, and I think I'm just going to not ever bring them um, anymore. Just because I never find myself using them. I just feel like, you know, putting them out, I'm, I have the time, but I'm kind of more playing for that day. I, I do a lot of driving, scouting, and, and running around the first couple of days. That's kind of more of my intel. And after that, I kind of get into a groove and and go from there. So I brought show cameras, didn't use them. Uh, and that was that was pretty much it as far as my major gear. Of course, you got your your other stuff, your rattling antlers, your calls, I got my bow, all that, all that stuff. But the one stand, my mystery ranch pack, that was, that was a pretty cool setup. So I really enjoyed that. And of course had my heads up decoy. I did some spot and stock hunting and, uh, blew a stock on a mule deer, blew another stock on a whitetail. Um, I did, I did do like I said, I, I brought the decoy and I used it for a few hunts, but unlike Kansas, it really wasn't, oh, this area I was in really wasn't set up as what I thought it would be. Uh, I got there and I was, it, it was one of those areas that like I couldn't, there wasn't a lot of land to work with and there wasn't a lot of land to work with that you could see really far. And, um, some areas it made sense to use it. Some areas it didn't, um, didn't end up killing anything using the decoy, but it was still fun to hunt with. And I've had some really memorable hunts, um, uh, with it. So I always bring it every time I go. And that's pretty much it. You know, the, the initial kind of planning and, you know, logistics and, and figuring out what I was going to do to camp and the gear I was bringing that, that pretty much summed it up for, for my planning process. And I just, by the time end of October rolled around, early November, I was just ready to go. I could not wait. So uh, let's see. The day I ended up getting there, November 9th, November 8th or 9th. I can't remember. And um, I've actually found like some of these southern states like, like Kansas, what I've seen with Oklahoma, it's almost better to kind of not hunt that first week in November. So it seems like the rut kicks in a little, little quicker in the Northern States, like my home state of Michigan, uh, where I hunted in Iowa last year, like the first week was awesome. What I've seen with like Kansas and this past year in Oklahoma, it seems like the rut really, uh, kind of picks up more of that second week, like more towards the middle of November. So, um, I'm glad I went when I did. And so first day I got out there, went to Walmart, bought my license, got groceries, and after I kind of got all that stuff set up and, and done, I drove out to these areas that I'd, I'd checked out and started driving around and really just spent majority of the afternoon kind of driving around other than, um, here's kind of a funny story. So I, I was like, man, I should probably get my bow and my gear kind of organized because when you leave for, you know, a 10 hour trip that you're driving across the country on, um, stuff gets kind of organized or disorganized and I, you kind of pack stuff in a certain way that's not really set up to really get out and right away and start hunting. So after I got done with Walmart, I was like, man, I should probably like get my shit 
organized a little bit, like get get my clothing, get my boots ready, get my bow. Um, I don't know, just kind of get everything a little bit more tuned up as if I was like going out hunting. And I thought about it and I was like, ah, you know, I'm just going to drive around and, and, and check stuff out. So I really don't even really plan on hunting today. Uh, maybe a quick evening hunt if I have time, but I started driving around and one of the first spots I got into, there was this kind of two track that led back to these oil wells. And I was like, well, I'll just drive down here because this looks like it goes back a little ways. So I drove down this two track and kind of going along and all of a sudden I look off to my left and there's just like a hundred and I don't know, he had to have been close to 150, just a freaking sweet sweet frame, long tines, heavy, big body, definitely probably a four-year-old deer. And he was standing out there at the edge of this little cut at like 150 yards. So I'm like, holy shit. You know, it's like, I, it's the first day started driving around and I'm already seeing that. And I'm like, man, this is a, this could be good. And, uh, so I'm like, ah, man, I don't have any of my stuff ready. Like, I don't know what to do. So I watched him for a little bit. He was watching me. And so I pull up behind these oil wells and, um, long story short, takes me a while to get my shit ready. And by the time I'm actually ready to go after this guy, he had disappeared, didn't know where he went. And, uh, so I was like, well, either way it's cool. And now I'm ready. If I see something else, I'll at least be able to kind of maybe put a stock on it. But, um, that day I just, the rest of the day I spent driving around just a lot of, you know, visual driving around, seeing if there were any hunters in the area, what certain access points looked like. I mean, you can look at a map and Google earth and it's going to show you some stuff, but until you actually get there, I mean, you know how it is. Everything looks uh, different. So I spent the day driving around and there's a couple hours left to light and I decided, well, I'm just going to just set up, do more of an observation sit over this crop field. And, uh, it's pretty close to the area where I'd seen that bigger buck earlier. So, um, sat up there on the edge of the field, didn't actually see anything, but, um, another hunter, um, actually was hunting in that same area. And, uh, after I got done with the hunt that night, I talked with him. He was actually a local police officer. And, uh, funny thing is when I was walking into that spot, into that field, I thought I was tripping balls. Cause I was like, man, these look like elk tracks all around this field. And cause they're way too big to be deer and they're too small to be cattle. And I wasn't seeing like the signs of moo cows in there. You know, there's usually piles of shit and they just make a, make a ruckus. And there wasn't that. And I was like, man, these look like elk tracks. Like, but I was like, there's no way, like this is Oklahoma. There's no elk here. And, um, so after I got on hunting that night, I was talking to the police officer and he's like, oh yeah, there's, there's elk around here. There's a pretty good herd that that frequency this area and I'm like no shit I was like I saw elk tracks and I would thought I was just I thought I was out of my mind and uh now he's like no there's there's elk out here so I thought that was pretty cool and he was telling me about the area and you know he was a really nice guy and uh so that was pretty cool um also on the first day when I, I first showed up it was the day before quail season and uh so I started seeing the influx of of, uh, you know, hunters showing up, but majority of them being quail hunters, they weren't hunting deer. They were out there for the week getting set up for that. Cause it's a pretty big deal. And, uh, so I was like, well, I need to talk to some of these quail hunters cause they're going to be the ones that are walking around a lot, right? Like they cover miles and miles a day going through the same country. I am, I want to, I want to talk to some of these guys and um grab their contact info so that way hey i'm hunting over here and i saw a mess of quail or seen a lot of quail in this area i was gonna let them know and uh you know vice versa if they see deer in a certain area while they're quail hunting like i want to know that and honestly that was the biggest uh i would say the best thing i could have done for that trip to uh ultimately end up killing these deer or finding this area I was in was because I met one of the quail hunters. We exchanged contact information and I linked up with him a couple of days later. I was like, Hey man, you seen any deer? Cause, um, first day, you know, I'd seen that good buck and, uh, didn't see anything that night and driving around. I wasn't seeing like deer running everywhere. Um, 
And uh, so anyways, I'll get into that here in a second, but I got contact to a couple of quail hunters, a couple different groups, and uh, ultimately that led to my success. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. And I would say that's a, that's a pretty key moment of, of this whole trip. So, um, first day, you know, didn't really see a whole lot. Did the observation sit. I saw like a doe ran into that other hunter and that was pretty much it. Go back to my truck, get set up, uh, spend the night, get up the next morning and, uh, kind of did another scouting morning. I kind of posted up in an area in my truck. I didn't go out yet. I just kind of wanted to get up into a spot where I could see more. Um, long story short, didn't see anything that morning. Um, again, I was just trying to do an observation sit from my truck. And then I started driving around some more, um, came back to this other area and almost, I was just kind of walking around and saw some does coming up this trail. Long story short, almost shot one of the does, but they got my wind. Um, that night on day two, I went to a different public land area, drove around out there, checked out this one area that was recommended to me by another quail hunter, this area that he had always seen deer in uh, when he was at the parking lot. So again, that was another uh, good reason or good intel from from a quail hunter. And so he told me to check out this area, went out there, uh, got on a good mule deer buck that night, put a stalk on him, but I misjudged where he was, where he was at. And I ended up spooking him. Uh, cause a lot of times you see him from way off and then you're like, Oh, he's there. And then you kind of take a different route around. And then, uh, you kind of have a general idea where he may be, but you don't always really know. And long story short, I ended up blowing him out of there. Um, after that stock, I went and hunted on the ground, didn't bring a stand with me, um, brought my bow and just started covering more of these ravines. This particular area is more open. That's when I had the decoy with me and, uh, kind of putting on some miles, checking out some, some, some of these different ravines and, and getting further off of these roads and, and just checking it out. Had an encounter with a smaller buck, uh, that night, almost got a shot on him, but couldn't close the deal. That was pretty much the end of day two. Basically checked out two spots, did a lot of driving around, closed it out with a little evening hunt on the ground. Um, and that pretty much wrapped it up. The next morning, I spent the I spent the night that night at that same spot and then uh, hunted, br- brought a tree stand into that same area because in some of these, some of these uh, draws, there was pretty good cover and pretty good amount of trees coming up out of the river bottom. So I hung a, hung a tree stand that morning and didn't see a single thing. <laughs> I had some quail hunters come in late morning and, uh, that, that was it. Um, they came in and I was like, ah, they were walking right through the area that I was hoping deer were coming through. So I was like, well, if they didn't spook anything and they're going the way that I think they might come, uh, I'm just going to call it a morning. So I left that area, went back to the truck and I was like, well, I'm going to go back over to the other spot, the other public land area. And, um, it, it started, it started to get a little cold that afternoon because there was a storm moving in and, um, saw some, saw some chasing going on, you know, from what, from what I had seen kind of driving around. And, um, again, Kind of did some more quick day scouting, just just walking around. Didn't bring a stand or anything, just kind of covering these areas, see if I could find some sign. But um, just really wasn't seeing the sign that I thought. Like I, I would find some rubs, but these river bottoms didn't really have like a really good trail system. Uh, in other words, they they weren't as like patternable. There wasn't like the terrain features in some of these spots that I thought would like funnel deer. It was just kind of more open and, and these river bottoms were kind of sparse with trees. It wasn't like, here's a stretch and you know, they're going to travel this 30 yard stretch. It was kind of like these river bottoms can be like two, 300, 400 yards wide. Um, so you don't really know. And I wasn't seeing a whole lot. Um, I think I saw a doe that night and, uh, that was pretty much it. At this point, I'm starting to, you know, after day three, I'm kind of like, hey, like we're not really seeing the 
big bucks that I was hoping to see. I've seen some small ones, seen some does. Um, and I'm not really getting the deer activity that I wanted. Like it was definitely fun and definitely cool. I just was hoping for a little bit more. Right. So day four, um, I wake up, I go to bed that night and it's 25 miles an hour wind. it's starting to snow. And I'm like, man, this is going to be a cold night. And, uh, so I went to bed, I had the heater cranked up all the way and I was pretty damn cold in my sleeping bag in my hunting clothes with a couple blankets, I was still, still pretty cold. And, uh, so I tucked it out that night and woke up to a couple inches of snow. The wind was blowing like 25 miles an hour. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go to the, this one spot where I saw that 150 the, the first day. Cause it was kind of this like little woodlot that I thought might be out of the wind. So I went there, brought my stool, hunted on the ground, just kind of stationary for the morning just to get out of the wind, but still be out there. Didn't really think that I would have a whole lot of chance just because it was like right in the middle of this blizzard, basically. So uh, I still elected to go out, froze my ass off for a couple hours, (laughs) and then went back to the truck. And I was like, man, this is starting to get a little bit of a grind. I'm just not seeing the activity. And um, so I... I talked with the first quail hunter that I exchanged numbers with and he's like, all right, well check out this area. This is the area that I'm seeing the most deer and the most, uh, where we went the other day, I think we saw like three or four bucks in this one little spot. And I was like, okay, cool. Like at this point I'm like, let's, I'm going to go check that out for sure. So, uh, at this point it was probably like noon, maybe 11 a.m. And, uh, where he told me it was about a mile back in, uh, in this one spot. So I was like, well, I'll grab my tree stand. Cause it was, it was a river bottom, grab my tree stand, threw it on my pack and hiked back in and just kind of slow, still hunting my way back there. It took me like two hours to get back to the spot that I wanted to be. And I, I found a, I found a good tree and, uh, I was like, kept going further and further back and I kind of just got this feeling it was like right on the edge of the bedding area I'd kicked up one little buck he was like a little spike but I got to this one spot and I was like this looks good you know it's like it looked like kind of a thicker area out in front of me I had some shooting lanes but I was on this little bit of a tree cut that I could get some cover and I thought there were some trails going by. It just looked like a good, good uh, spot to set up. So hung my stand and uh, just settled in for the rest of the day. It was cold. I saw some does. And then um, probably the last 15 minutes of light, I see these couple does and they're coming right at me. And uh, the wind was kind of borderline and this doe kept coming. And I was like, man, it's day four. I want some meat. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot one if, if, uh, given the opportunity. So she came in and the second one ended up being, it was going to be a little bit bigger of a deer and I wanted to shoot that one. But, um, first one came in and I had to shoot the first one because if she would have got five yards more downwind, she would have, she would have busted me. So, um, long story short, shot her double long. She ran 50 yards and, and piled up. So I was like, sweet, you know? Got some meat that felt really good, and uh, it was getting super cold that night. Everything just after after I got my uh, after I got down and got over to the deer, stuff just started freezing up. Like there was literally ice crystals building up on my bow. Uh, it was like frosting over on my pack. It started getting really cold. It was in the teens for sure. So um, I get that deer corded up. There was no way I was going to drag that thing out of there. Mile in, um, got the dough quartered up and loaded onto my pack. And man, that was just a really cool hunt. The, the clouds had cleared out that night. The moon was out, there was snow on the ground and I was, I was coming back to the truck with a heavy pack. And, uh, that was, that was just cool. It was pretty special. So I got back to the truck that night, got everything thrown in the coolers, and, uh, by that time it was pretty late. I don't know, maybe nine, nine o'clock, somewhere in there went to bed. And I'm like, Hey, I, 
I had left my stand and everything back there. I was like, man, this looks like a pretty good spot. Even though I didn't see any bucks that, that night, I, I thought it could be a pretty good spot to set up. So went back the next morning. This is day five and uh, had some really good activity. That, that storm front had moved in the day prior and left. Um, so it was a crisp, cold, snow-covered morning. Uh, high pressure, sun was out, and uh, I anticipated it would be a good deer movement morning, and, and it was. That morning, I saw a couple mature bucks. They were all they were all with does, chasing does hard. I watched uh, about a 160-inch 10-point. He was super wide. Really cool to see, but 160-inch 10-point from what I what I estimated. Um, he bred this doe. There was a hot doe in the area and I watched him, um, breed that doe and I'd never seen that happen in the wild before. That was, that was really neat to see. Um, I'd never, never witnessed that in person and, uh, it was really cool to, to, to see that it was a couple hundred yards away. So I was watching it through my binoculars, but nonetheless, it was, it was a neat experience. Um, I saw about another 130 inch deer, and then another, you know, probably a hundred inch, uh, eight point two year old chasing a doe. And I couldn't, I couldn't break them away from the does. They were just, whatever I did, calling, whatever, they just weren't leaving those does. So, um, hunted the rest of the morning and pretty much till the afternoon. And I was just kind of, I was pretty tired from the day before and middle of the week. I, I try to take, and this was a, a hunt that was by myself, and I was like, hey, if I if I don't hunt every day super hard, like it's not the end of the world. I'd already gotten doe, um, so I actually kind of called it an early early day, and uh, went back and just kind of made dinner and hung out around camp and read a book and just had a good time, and uh, and then uh, so that that ended day um, day five, and then the next morning. I actually slept in. <laughs> I was recovering. Uh, that doe hunt was pretty tough on me, but um, but no, I just like I said, I, I this trip was more to me about um, just being relaxed and having a good time. I didn't have to be the hardcore get up every day because um, that can become a grind, and I'm not afraid of taking a day off. It it doesn't matter. Um, it was doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> there was no one else there to, to nag on me. So I took the morning off and, uh, went back into that same spot again. And I, I just was really confident in that area. Um, went out that, that afternoon, didn't see anything. Um, that evening I had a good encounter with a hundred, I don't know. He's probably 140 inch, uh, nine point really wide, uh, called him in. I just couldn't get, couldn't get an arrow in him. It was kind of thick. He kind of got behind me and, uh, ended up drawing back on him, but couldn't, couldn't get off a shot. So that, that concluded the, the end of day. Um, let's see, well, that was day six. And, uh, so that was the second to last day of the hunt and, uh, day seven, Woke up the next, woke up the mo- next morning, went out, and uh, it was probably mid morning, eight, eight, eight thirty, somewhere in there, and doing some calling or whatever, and had this little buck come towards me, and he came into twenty yards, and I, uh, I let him have it. It was he wasn't a giant, obviously, from seeing the pictures. He's I, I actually think he's a year and a half old buck with some crazy good genetics. He's a he's a little eight. He's got tall brow tines. He's pretty heavy for for his body size. Like you know, I I definitely think he's a year and a half old buck. Some people think he's two, but I think he's a year old, judging based on his body. But he he was a stud in the making. I shot a future booner. <laughs> But anyways, he, he came in, shot him. I hit him a little bit far back. I think I got the liver. And um, so I watched him actually bed down. And I knew he wasn't dead right away when I watched him bed because he kind of kind of walked off and, and bedded down. But I knew I'd probably got liver, um, maybe a lung, but I wasn't sure. So 
I I decided to back out. I was like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know push this deer. I know he's hurt, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push him. So I knew he was he was gonna die. I just need to give him some time. And uh, so I was like, well, this this would this would totally make my hunt. If if I got this deer, I'd be like, hey, I got a doe. This would be my buck, and I'm totally totally happy. Uh, to go home with that. So second to last day, I was like, well, I'm going to pull my stand. I'm going to pull all that stuff and, and walk back to the truck, kind of regroup. And, and then I'll come back in a couple hours later to, uh, to get this deer. And that's exactly what I did. Walk back to the truck, got my stuff around, kind of got stuff organized, shed some clothes because it was starting to get a little bit warm and I knew I had to get back to that deer, so um, shed some clothes, went back in with an empty pack, and found that deer right where he was, uh, right where I saw him go down. So it was really cool. And uh, same thing, quartered that deer up in the back, uh, you know, about a about a mile back in, and brought that thing out in one hit. It was it was really really cool. Super impressed with that. Super impressed with that mystery ranch pack. And uh, kind of the overload system that they have, because again, it wasn't that big of a pack itself, but that frame can handle a lot of weight. So um, one deer, one hit, and uh, it was it was cool coming out with that deer. Um, again, he's not a giant, he's not a monster, but man, that was just a just a cool hunt, cool experience, and uh, lots of memories uh, from from here on out. I'll I'll never forget that hunt. And, um, so I, I, I got back to the truck that night, took some pictures and got to my camp spot that was just down the road, hung up the quarters in a tree and just relax, you know, kind of got things organized and planned to hit the road early in the morning. So that was, that was pretty much my hunt. I mean, it it's not to me it wasn't about the antlers it it wasn't about even hell even killing a deer um it was about the adventure and and going it alone and doing it completely diy public land and just doing it on my own terms that was that was the really cool thing about it i mean if i know a lot of guys hunt with hunting partners and i love hunting with my buddies and you know family or whatever I, I love that. It's it's such a blast. The camaraderie in camp and just being able to bullshit and, you know, hey, what'd you see? Or how'd your hunt go? And and sharing in the recovery of, of animals when um, somebody gets one. But this, if, if you can ever do a solo hunt by yourself, like more of an adventure kind, like everyone goes out and hunts their back 40 or a spot that they know for maybe a weekend or a night or whatever. Um, but if you can take an out of state trip, whether it's whitetail, whether it's pronghorn, mule deer, elk, doesn't matter. Excuse me. If you can do that, I highly recommend it. It is, it is so much fun to go out there and do that by yourself. Cause it's just, it's you and you only. And I definitely appreciate my alone time. I, I, I love that aspect and it's an adventure. Like, and it's and it's all on you. Um, you're not worried about what your buddy's doing, or you know, I, oh, I got to go pick him up because we drove one truck and he's over here, and so I don't really want to hunt this area, but he does. So you have none of that. It's completely on your own. You're doing it by yourself. You're going wherever you feel like you need to be, and and there's something pretty amazing about that. And pair that with living out of the back of my truck, and you know camping out under the stars, basically wherever I ended up, I could, I could be and set up camp for the night. So that was really cool. Just roughing it, going rustic and, uh, save a lot of money that way too. Um, obviously I bought the topper and, and that stuff, but I would have spent almost that much in hotel rooms, um, for the week. So that was just really cool. Some of the biggest takeaways I had from the hunt is, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing to my success was getting the contact and and talking with those quail hunters because I was getting into like day three or four and I was like, man, this is going to be, this is a little tougher than I thought. Like I'd seen some deer movement, but it wasn't what I expected. And, um, 
the guy that I had met, he tipped me off to that one area and that ended up being a pretty dynamite spot. So, um, utilizing them, like they were my scouting tool cause they were putting miles on a day and you know, they were telling me where the deer were at. So that was, that was probably my biggest key to success. And then, um, you know, after getting to that spot, I realized, Hey man, like this is, this spot's pretty secluded. This is why those deer are there. It's a thick area. It's a mile one way to get into. And, um, uh, so it's just off the beaten path. There's less pressure. There's less people that are back there. And, um, you know, that was, a that was the key to why that area held the most deer. So, um, so that was pretty cool. Um, you know, shooting a couple deer, a doe and a buck and, just everything about it, the solo part, the camping, um, doing it on, doing it on your own, going in by myself. It was just an amazing hunt. I'll never forget. So if you ever get the chance, go do it. You won't regret it. It'll be something to remember for the rest of your life. So hope you guys enjoyed the story of my 2018 Oklahoma hunt. I'll probably end up hunting there again. Um, or maybe I'll bounce around to another state. I'm all about trying out new areas and, uh, South Dakota might be on the list for next year. I don't know. Well, I'll have to figure it out, but hope you guys enjoyed that. So much fun. Go do it yourself. All right. That's another episode in the books. Hope you guys really enjoyed that, man. That was a long time for me to talk and Hope you guys weren't too bored with that whole story, but there was so much to cover and there's so many details and I just, again, had a blast. If you can go out there and do it, do whether it's a pronghorn hunt or wherever, just, just plan a hunt and if you can go by yourself, that's a whole nother element and I highly recommend it. So uh, thanks again for following along and, and listening to that story. Um, I'll have my blog up on the on my website as well, transitionwild.com. So if you're looking to see some photos of my camping setup and uh, you know some success picks and some of the stuff, I, some of the views I experienced along the way, go to transitionwild.com. I've got my uh, the the latest Oklahoma hunt up there for you to check out and read and uh, see some of the some of the photo imagery of of the whole experience. So uh, go do that. If you like what you're hearing, definitely subscribe to the Transition Wild podcast on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. You can leave us a review. Uh, go to iTunes, Stitcher, leave us that five star review. Be much, much appreciated. And uh, you know that's just that's just much appreciated. <laughs> and I and I thank you guys for for tuning in every week. It's been it's been a wild ride. It's been over a year since I started this thing and uh, look forward to, to bringing you guys some some good content from from here on out. Um, going to be getting into some more product kind of review here in the near future, talking with some product companies. That's always fun. And uh, just keeping it real, just keeping it real Western. That's what we do around here. We do Western things because we're Western big game hunting. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm tired. It's late. I've talked for an hour by myself. Have you ever talked? Just talked for an hour? That was that was pretty nuts. I've never done that before. Just talking by myself, not a conversation. That's just a lot of words, and uh, my throat hurts, and I'm tired. So <laughs> I'm gonna let you guys go. Hope you're having a good time. Hope you're out there hunting still. Keep grinding it out, and we'll talk to you soon.